Sorry about that. I don't know. I'm just Ugh. terrible. <laughs> I'd, I'd give you like a solid B plus. Thanks. Yeah, okay. You're listening to the John T Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean American, and more. And now, here's your host, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Nathan, along with KJ and Patrick and KJ and Patrick and Patrick and KJ. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Nathan. We are the John Wait, who are you? Show. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was we, incredible. What a choice. We are happy to be back. It is Christmas week, and uh, we here at the John Chi Show are so happy that it is uh, that time of year, and uh, it is almost 2021, so... Uh, Nathan, I'm going to keep it on you. What does John Chi mean? Oh, keep yes. on me. I'm going to say yeah. John Chi. Oh, well. <laughs> John Chi, it's such a we, we talk about it every time. I mean, hopefully everyone knows what it is by now. It is. But what if this is their first episode? <laughs> it John sounds like Chi you're stalling and you've forgotten what it means. I am stalling because I was like, well, how should I how should I phrase this differently? Like, how do I, I how always do I, phrase how it? How do I do my show? No, I like <laughs> I would feasting. I want this section to be very quotable. That would be sure. amazing. Oh, that's and funny. This, this is a good intro, right? Uh, feasting celebration. We are. A, you know, enjoying uh, the stories that we hear from everyone about their Korean adoption heritage and our culture, and we want to John Chi it up. So that is uh, why we are the John Chi Show. But uh, what uh, what about uh, what about you guys? What do you have to say? <laughs> I agree with that translation. I love it. I think you got it. You nailed it. This is amazing. I should it. have you roll into every episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's just every episode, we're just going to have Nathan ramble. That, that's yeah. how we're going to I liked it. it. It's very unpredictable, and <laughs> it's something new comes out of it every time. I love just, it. While I'm listening to you talk, it feels like you're alone on a road, and you're just like, guys, <laughs> guys, guys, is anyone here? go off like, a cliff. Just looking to the left and right, and you're like, where are my co-hosts at, guys? They'll, they'll be here, I promise. You're like the pre-show act. You're like, guys, they're, they're going to show up. Just, just, oh just five more minutes. It's, it's really it's funny. Amazing. I won't lie. I talk to myself. <laughs> I... I do the same thing, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I talk to myself out loud when I'm packing. I don't know that I do it a ton, like out of other contexts or anything, but like definitely packing, it like really helps me get focused. Because you're checking stuff off the list, right? Uh, I'm just like, okay, what do we need? We need shirts. What? How long are we staying? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, extra. We need underwear. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, extra. What am I wearing on the plane? Or what am I wearing? Wow. Like on the travel? Like okay. I just like I'm like talking to myself. I'm like amping myself up for the the trip about to come or something. So. Yeah, like a talking checklist. Yeah, basically. I, like it. I talk <laughs> when I, to myself when I get angry. I did this weekend. <laughs> at my, yesterday at my yeah. printer, my printer was not <laughs> cooperating, Patrick. and I was not very happy. It was. It was a time. So you have a real like Gollum Smeagol thing going on. Kind of. And it really was kind of like that. Looking back on space it. on his printer. <laughs> and then I'm like going to get presents and I'm driving. I'm like, why was I so mad at the printer? It's just wasted an hour and a half of my time being mad. PC no <laughs> letter. To myself. Okay, well, I'm going to say this right now at the top of the show because I literally forget to every time we close a show. Um, so we're going to talk about Christmas and holidays and the end of the year and all that stuff. Uh, and it would be fantastic of you, dear listener, if for Christmas you would please give us a rating and review on iTunes. That would be just like the best 
uh, Christmas gift in the world. You could do nothing else. Uh, and you don't even have to listen to the show. Just uh, give us a rating or a view. Um, and if it's good, we'll read it on air. And if it's bad and uh, clean enough, we'll read it on air. Um, yeah, but please, please do that. That would be fantastic. Uh, yes, we would love anyways, some so, reviews. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that really does go a long way in terms of helping other cads other people uh find it and help amp- it literally amplifies our own voice uh so that would be fantastic we should also mention uh you know kind of a nice thing that we are have been nominated for the asian podcast network award best yeah hosts. that so is that so just fantastic. came out uh announcement uh, last week and the voting is going on right now for the uh online it's on a facebook group um, but yeah, we are one of three finalists for that. It'll be uh, f- coming up here December 27th, I think, is when they announce the winner. So, But we are very honored to be in that uh, that list. So thank you if you were listening and you voted for us, or if you would like to vote for us, <laughs> go to Asian Podcast Network on Facebook. So. Shout out to our fellow Best Host nominees, Bamboo and Glass and Two Horny Goats. Yeah. Just to give you guys a soft plug. <laughs> I'm not going to say the names of the hosts, so people have to do a little bit of work, but go check out those shows. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, Christmas, holidays, end of year things. Um, what are you guys looking forward to for Christmas? Or like, what's like, what's like the one Christmas tradition that you love that you're looking forward to? I love eating. <laughs> no Is there way. like a specific kind of food? I can't believe it. <laughs> I Nathan the foodie loves eating? Foods? <laughs> I, well, so uh, my, a lot of my family is from Wisconsin. And so for all you Minnesota Wisconsinites out there, you probably know what Kringle is. And uh, Kringle is essentially this Danish that is in a giant O, oval O, I guess you say. And it's flat and it's got goodness inside with Does it have something in the middle too? Fruit. No, it's hollow in the middle. So it's like a flat donut. Um but it's yeah. a big big it's oval like a circle. Yeah, big pastry. Yeah. And uh my favorite is the pecan flavor, but they have cherry and cheese and strawberry and, and peach and all kinds of things. So but pecan is always our, our go to and every year pretty much for, for Christmas um at my, my parents' house. We always ate that. And so this year, being here, my parents said, Nathan's still going through puberty. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got excited because I thought about the, about about the Kringle. The, thing. the Kringle. It just um, takes them back. It does. It's good stuff. So time, for all you people age. who love the Kringle, it's uh, enjoy. I think I've seen be. that on uh, the Great British Bake Off and also mm. like on Panera's menu one time. I thought Kringle was Santa Claus's last name. So uh, you lost me for a second when you brought up food. Like you eat a person? That's just like a common like, Wait, he has a side thing. hustle of making pastries for people in Wisconsin it's and Minnesota? Made famous by Santa Claus. But yeah. Nice. What about you guys? Do you have any traditions? I don't, actually. I was thinking that. I was thinking about it when you were talking about it. I was like, I feel like every tradition that we may have. So recently, since my sister's been in Salt Lake with her husband, we've been going out there for Christmas. So I, I would say that's kind of a tradition. We skied last year, which I hope to make a tradition more often, but um, we obviously are not doing that this year. So I feel like any traditions we were even starting on have been upended by this whole pandemic. Um, so I'm really just looking forward to getting th- kind of through it. 
You know what I mean? To see it to the other side and yeah. get to 2021. Not that I'm not looking forward to talking to my sister on FaceTime and, you know, just being a general hooray holiday, but no, <laughs> no real things got going on. So gotcha. sorry. I was so sad. I just made I that mean, seem so sad. That is the reality of where we're at. Um, yeah. So my favorite thing is it's like, Twofold. Uh, Christmas Eve, we have a big tamale party. Um, nice. So that that's is a cool. tradition. That's like I think that's co-opted from um, like Mexico. Yeah. Because uh, my granddad grew up near the border, um, and so that's just like a thing that we do. So I mean, back in the day, we used to because my family and my mom's side is huge. We used to like have all the cousins like make the masa, and then they would make the uh, the meats and chili alongside of it and all that stuff. Um, but these days, if we don't have as many cousins or are just lazy, we'll just go and buy some. Um, but like, so tamales are like, that's like, that's a particular scent. Like I remember one time when I was younger, it had been a while uh, since I've been out to Arizona to visit my family and I woke up, we, we were there and I woke up and it smelled like chili and tamales. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it smells like Christmas. Like, like that was just like so profound because I hadn't had that in so long, you know? And then, uh, Christmas morning we have, uh, coffee cake and egg casserole. And they're just like, Oh, nice. I, like they seem like basic, but like, those are the only, that's like the only time of the year that I will ever eat those things. And so those are always really, really special to me. So, that's a good point. My mom's always made a breakfast casserole, uh, for Christmas and we would eat that. And yeah. that was like the only time I'd ever eat that one. Right. Thing. Yeah. Have you ever made coffee cake? Uh, mm. I mean, I personally have not. It is homemade when yeah. we do it, but I've never been involved in that process. I, uh, th- I might have been involved once, but I was young. Mm. I, I made it for the first time this year during you know during lockdown and everything. And maybe maybe I'm naive, but I found it funny that there was no coffee in the coffee cake. <laughs> I think it's because so. <laughs> So my family makes like a regular coffee cake and then like a chocolate chip coffee cake, which obviously all the kids oh, love. And so like that one's still my favorite. But so the coffee cake, I feel like, is so, so named because it's the perfect companion yep. to a cup of coffee. And I it's think not that's, like a, yeah, that was, not coffee that was the surprise for me. It's like, oh, it's the companion. <laughs> you have this not, with the no coffee, coffee in it. Oh, was it good? Okay. Oh, yeah, still really good. But <laughs> like, I'm a fantastic and I And I love coffee, so I was, but I was just, because I love coffee so much, I was like, what? I, I don't get to put coffee in my coffee cake? Okay. Well, sure. Really? Okay. <laughs> so. Do you guys have any specific traditions with your kids that you guys do for Christmas, Nathan? Or have you not started that yet? Nothing yet. Nothing that uh, they, ha- I guess, remember or anything. Um, and they don't, it's funny because I talk about this Kringle and everything. That's my tradition. <laughs> they don't even really like it. Um, really? Like, yeah. Well, the pecan well, the flavor nuts. is the one that's my favorite. And we can't uh, do it because my son's allergic to some yeah. nuts. And so we had to do a cherry flavor, which was still good. But he was like, eh, you know, <laughs> cherry's not his biggest thing either so i was like god would have gone with peach personally yeah so i should i should mix it up and get some different flavors for next year just to see if i can find one he really likes but um yeah they haven't had any we haven't had any traditions other than you know we're trying to do all the same things but now that they know like about santa claus and things like that we're gonna uh one thing that my dad always did as a kid that i thought was hilarious which is going to be interesting for me to try but he would always take his boot and put it in the uh, um the ash of our fireplace <laughs> and then he would put it on the uh the fireplace mantle area so that it looked like he you know it was a footprint that he had just stepped in amazing. and stepped out that is and amazing. i as a kid thought that was you know funny that's and magic. cool <laughs> yeah and it was magical sure and then of course when you know you get older you're like oh but he still did it like he still did it later i can't remember like how old I was when he was still doing that. Um, 
And so I kind of want to do that, but our fireplace is gas. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, just the oil print. Just yeah, like, I don't <laughs> know how I'm going to do it. A big mud stain on <laughs> or something. That but. is, shout out your dad for putting in the effort of just doing that. Doesn't seem like it'd be hard, but just no. to keep it up year after year. That's amazing. It's, it's fun stuff. Those are all of my memories, my little tradition memories. But so we'll start, we'll start doing some new ones, I'm sure. And, and yeah. yeah, I was I, always a, oh, go nope, for it. You go for it. Oh, you go for it. No, Patrick, you. <laughs> you. I was just going to say that I was a the the terrible kid who would always wake up at like 1 a.m. and go and like touch on his presence. I'm pretty sure I poked a hole in one one time because I knew it was a Batman castle, <laughs> like the Bat Cave, and with, on, with Wayne Manor on top, and it opened up. And I had That's all the amazing. action figures, and I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to run back to my room. I've I was like, all right, go to sleep. before as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was even bad enough to find where my mom hid the uh, stocking uh, stuffers, I guess you say. Oh, she yeah. She yeah, hid yeah. all of those in like a giant bag. And unfortunately, she she did it in our bathroom. I, because <laughs> it was so, it was way up high, though. It was oh, a really okay. high shelf. You know, whatever. But somehow I found it, and I don't know why. But so I hid her stocking stuffers from her. So that <laughs> night when she found – she went to go stuff the stockings, I could, all I heard was her in the bathroom going, Nathan, where is it? She instantly knew I had rehit it or something. And so That's I was like, amazing. what are you talking about? What, what, what are you looking for? She's That's like, hilarious. there's a bag up here. I was like, well, what was in the bag? <laughs> Just totally playing dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, when I I don't I was I was a good kid, so I don't have any of those fun stories. But, oh, well, uh, <laughs> one of us had to have been. No, yeah, I mean it's the rule of threes. One of us right. is bound to. Uh, yeah, no, I just remember so when I was young and we would uh, fly out to Arizona to have Christmas with my grandparents. My granddad would always wake us up really early um, to do Christmas. I have no idea what time he would wake us up. I assume it was something like five in the morning because all of my teenage siblings and cousins were like really angry about it. Uh, and my sister and I, uh, we were young enough that we were just very excited. Um, and also like my granddad probably just wakes up very early anyways, but he would always, so he'd walk through the house and like, he's kind of heavy footed and he's, uh, he's had like a lot of like phlegm and stuff in his throat. just like kind of perennially. He's just one of those guys who's always clearing his throat. So he would, as you walk through the house, he would knock on the door and just go, ho, ho, ho. And then, so, and he did it. Like, I th- he loved doing it. So he, he would do it super loud. And, but then, like, on his way to the next door, as if the first one didn't wake you up, he'd just hear a, ho, ho, ho. And I'm like, so, like, and we were, like, the last door. So I heard him do this, like, three doors by the time he finally, but, like, I couldn't leave the room because I didn't want to ruin it for him. So I just had to sit there and just, like, anxiously, like, Open my door, please. <laughs> Announce ho 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 so that I can go and and open my presence. It was just, but just like hearing, just heavy footed, knock knock knock. <laughs> ho ho. Just Santa, every time. Do you need a, a throat lozenge? Do you need a? <laughs> do you need a cough drop, buddy? Do you need a wordless? <laughs> Here you go, buddy. That's so amazing. Funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, anyways, um, Christmas is is a great time. I, I it's one of my favorite times of year personally. Here's a question I have for you. Um, I never thought about this, but like growing up in Indiana uh, until recently, we've always had snow on Christmas. You growing up in Texas and like going to Arizona, I'm assuming there's not much snow. <laughs> like, um, what was your Christmas like sans snow? 
I mean, it was still just a regular it was a day. Texas cold, so you know, oh. it's like a, a crisp forty-five, and mm-hmm. uh, so we are bundled up in our heavy jackets and things, and uh, yeah, I, I do remember one night um, it snowed super hard after the Christmas Eve service, and so we woke oh, up cool. to a white Christmas um, in like I think twenty ten or something like that. Yeah, I never really had snow either. I mean, I, I think maybe once or twice, but uh, I forgot to mention too. Of I don't know how many years, but at least seven years or so, uh, there was a stretch where we actually didn't even have Christmas at our house. Um, mm. We would have a fake Christmas a week before um, Christmas, and we would do all the presents and pretend it's Christmas because uh, for for a long stretch of about seven to ten years, we actually went to Hawaii for Christmas. It was our nice. because of the the school break and everything. So every year annually, we would just go out to Hawaii and actually be in Hawaii on Christmas Day. And um, so that actually kind of became a tradition as kind of having Christmas say, on a seven non-Christmas ten years day. For sure a tradition. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and, and then, then you sing that. Yeah. <laughs> Mali, that song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. That one. I was like, yeah, so, I don't so, know. Yeah, we I always had a, a, a Hawaiian Christmas, actually. So there was definitely no snow there. But, uh, but you know, it, they did a good job of making it feel like a, um, like a Hawaiian Christmas. So um, when are you and Allison firing that tradition back up? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> so wish. <laughs> Tomorrow, Amazing. if I could. <laughs> He's like, I already got the ticket. Every time I hear Hawaii, it takes about three seconds, and I immediately think of that Bart in Lilo and Stitch. We're like, the mosquitoes! <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that movie was know. really formative to me. <laughs> you love that movie. I, I really don't. It's just, uh, it really sticks out in my mind. I don't know. We just watched Hercules the other day. That was fun. Nice. That's yeah. a good one, too. Hercules! Hercules! <laughs> Another adoptee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's why they're so prominent in our mind. Well, speaking of adoption, we should probably get to our interview. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, you want to cue this one up? Sure. Um, today, we had the great honor of speaking with Lee Quates. We chat about not only her adoption story and her unique upbringing, um, she also recently just released a book um, called Faith and Favor, Discovering Family at 50. Um, I have personally read it and it was really, really great. And I was really excited to be able to have this, uh, opportunity to have this conversation. She shares a lot of, uh, really good insights and a lot of things that I think a lot of people, especially even adoptees don't realize about being a mixed race Korean, um, and not only our society, but in Korean society as well. So it's a really great conversation, um, and we also do food later. So great segue. Uh, stick around for that interview. Roll that clip. All right. We are here today with a very special guest, Lee Quates. Lee, thank you for joining us here on The John Chi Show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I met Lee at a fundraiser for Adoptee Hub not too long ago. And she, as we'll talk about later in the episode, it was getting ready to put or publish a book, which was very good. Um, so I just want to say thank you very much for coming on and want to kick it off by asking you to share with us and share with our audience a little bit about your adoption story and just a little bit about your personal history. Okay, thank you very much. It's it's such an honor to be here and to meet all of you guys and I really appreciate you sharing my story as well. So, thank you so much. Um uh as Patrick said, my name is Lee Quates. I was born um E Augustine 
in Seoul, South Korea. So I was born near the DMZ, um, which is the border between North and South Korea. And the village where I was, where my mother lived was close to a military base. And so there were a lot of military soldiers in the area and a lot of Korean women were companions to those military soldiers. And so that was my mom. Um, so, uh, as you can tell by looking at me, I'm not full Korean. I am mixed race. And for my mother, that was, uh, in addition to being a single mom, having a mixed race child was even, even more difficult, right? So she cared for me for as long as she could. Um, but by the age of two, she found it necessary to relinquish me. So I was relinquished to Holt. Korea. And I was adopted a few months after being taken to the orphanage. So I was adopted to the United States and I was raised by a military family who happened to be black. So I was raised in the black culture in the United States in uh, the 70s and 80s. And um, I identified with black, so I did not have any exposure to um, Korean customs or the language. I had no idea there was such a thing as Korean culture camp. Um, is <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that was a thing until about two years ago, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but my my adoptive family. Um, treated me as if I was black because that's all they knew. And so that's how I grew up and that's all I knew. Um, so I'm really, uh, new to the adoptee community and I didn't actually meet another adult Korean adoptee, um, until 2018. And that came about. So I, I wrote my memoir and I was looking for some beta readers and, uh, I was at a, a holiday party of one of my former co-workers like a few years prior to that. And I think she might have mentioned that she had adopted uh, um, some children from Korea. And I said, oh, I'm adopted from Korea. And that's not something that I really ever talked about in public or with people because it just, um, it, it was just never a topic of conversation. But when she said that, I was like, oh, so was I. So she gave me the name of this um, individual and I wrote her name in a note in my phone. And, and I don't know why I did, but I just did. And, you know, fast forward three years later, I'm like, hmm, now I wonder if she would want to be a beta reader for my book because um, I knew she worked with the adoptee community, but I wasn't sure if she was an adoptee or an adoptive parent or how, but it turns out that she is an adoptee and she's an adoptive parent. So she adopted mm -hmm. a daughter from Korea. So she was the perfect person to kind of give me some insight and help me kind of shape my story for um, my target audience. And so um, she was the first, uh, my, my introduction to the adoptee community and she was pretty connected and she kind of, um, steered me towards some, some groups, some social media groups that 
I had no idea were out there. And so as a result, I met some other adoptees um, through those social media groups. So that's been very exciting. Where were you raised? Well, being an Air Force brat, we were kind of all over. So when I left Korea, we um, were in Okinawa for a while, and then we were in England for a few years. So I actually did kindergarten and first grade in England, and then we moved back to the United States. So okay. we moved to Virginia, and then we ended up moving to Nebraska, and then my dad retired, and they wanted to um, keep the benefits and stay near an Air Force base. And so that's how we ended up in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's where mm-hmm. I still live right now. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you uh, for sharing that history. Um, you are our first guest of mixed race origin. Um, oh. So I'm really excited to have you on and, and to dig into that a little bit. Um, yes, thank you. Stepping back a little, you talked about you grew up um, in predominantly black community and you grew up with that culture. But you obviously, like you said, you know, you were moving around a lot as you were growing up. um, I was wondering if like being half Korean, and I know you said in your forum that your parents didn't expose you to anything or a lot of things Korean growing up. Did that play, did you, did you have any sense of that identity or did that play any significant role in like your friendships or in your family life? Or was that kind of a moot point? Well, I would say starting maybe around fourth grade, um, I, the majority of my close friends were black. Um, and then I would say once I graduated from high school, so, you know, when you fill out forms and you have to choose a nationality, mm-hmm. so, you know, black, white, and, you know, the, I, I, I guess after high school, I, you know, up until then I'd always checked black because that's what my parents said to do. You know, you're right. black. I'm like, okay. So I've always checked the box for black. But I think I, st- I, I wanted to include my Korean side. So I, every chance I got, I would check two boxes. So I would check oh. black and I would check Asian Pacific Islander. Because I'm in my mind, I'm like, hey, I'm both. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't know anything about this other side <laughs> of me. But <laughs> so, I, so I started doing that. And now I think forms, you know, have a, a multiracial right. Um, option, right? But yeah. um, in the 70s and 80s, there were no <laughs> options. <laughs> so I think that's when um, no longer was I really... I don't want to say ashamed of my Korean side, but, you know, it's not fun when, you know, people are calling you China girl or, you know, that kind of thing and, you know, making fun of your eyes and, and, um, you know, so I, you know, while you're in school and you're being made fun of and you're being bullied, it's not cool. But, you know, once I became an adult, um, I started to embrace, um, you know, both sides of me. And so, um, I, you know, then to me, it was kind of cool to be different, you know? So talk to us a little bit about how you go from that point in high school where you start or after high school, where you're starting to check that box. And then in 2018, when you first meet your first Korean adoptee, talk about that in between period. And if you could elaborate a little bit on your exposure to either Korean or Asian culture, like your first kind of forays that maybe made you start having those thoughts or kind of what your experiences were that led you up to that moment of meeting your first adoptee and then going into that uh, side of it? 
Yeah. So, um, up until, you know, up until 2018, again, my, um, Asian culture experience was very limited. Um, I worked, um, near the Air Force Base um, in Bellevue, Nebraska. And there's a ton of Chinese restaurants or like Asian restaurants in that area. So um, we used to, my coworkers and I used to go to Asian restaurants. And prior to that, hadn't really eaten a lot of Asian food, right? I grew up on soul food <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or just American food, right? Um, so I, I, so now it's like Asian food is one of my favorite, you know, we used to eat it, we, Asian and um, Mexican food we ate all the time. So love both of those. Um, however, actual Korean cuisine, I don't think I'd had any Korean food until I worked um, with, uh, I, I ended up working with a coworker who was, who was Korean and he had friends who owned a Korean restaurant in Omaha and he took me there for lunch and I did not like it. And <laughs> <laughs> it was not good. And so, do you remember what you ate? I I I think I tried bulgogi, and I didn't like it. And really, yeah, just the too fatty at first. Like. It was a little fatty, yeah. and um, just the flavor of you know the seasonings, and I I mean I so I don't know what else I ate. But I know I didn't really care for any of it. And so I'm like, okay, the Midwestern version of Korean food. It's probably not best. super authentic either. But well, you know, but I mean, I think the owners were from Korea, but you know, sure. I mean it's gotta be so harder I, to get material. Yeah, it it just supplies. it wasn't good. So I um so mm. so I so I didn't really go and seek out other Korean restaurants at that point. Mm -hmm, it right. was just like, uh, I, I'll, you know, I'll stick to Thai and Chinese <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> stuff I know that I like. Um, but so other than that, I mean, that was basically it. That was my exposure. Um, didn't really have any other Korean friends. Now I knew some people who had adopted children um, from Korea, but I hadn't met their children. Um, so yeah. So when I met her in 2018, yeah. And, and she told me that Holt has an office in Omaha and I was like, what? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> so, I mean, that's how disconnected I was from the adopted yeah. community and, um, and the culture. And so I, I made a trip to Korea in August of 2019 and I was super worried about the food. Cause I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to eat when I'm there. <laughs> so, I guess I'm just going to eat a lot of rice. Yeah. You know, I, so I'm Googling pictures of Korean food and I'm just like, oh man, this is going to be awful. Like, I don't really know, <laughs> but I will tell you it was, a lot of it was, was delicious. And, um, so I, I got over it, but, uh, some of the stuff I didn't really enjoy, like I didn't really enjoy the fish heads in the soup, like that yeah. wasn't a favorite. And, uh, so anything that tastes real fishy, I don't really like anyway. So I kind of avoided some of those things. And, and, um, I think that's why I don't like gimbap because the seaweed mm. tastes really oh, fishy. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's so a common critique we have on the show. Uh, when we eat <laughs> is the fish smells uh, yeah. <laughs> that emanate from right. or the seafood. But smells. it's usually the smells. It's not actually that's the flavors. True. It's oh, the really? like, yeah. They're real punch. Well, cause all we've had are like snacks basically. Okay. So it's yeah. like pungent artificially seafood flavor. And you're like, yeah, 
Mm. It's, yeah. I think with more like the fresh stuff, so which is yeah, because yeah. I I love seafood, so yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. happy to eat that all day. Yeah. I like although seafood. not the fish head thing. That's yeah, not the fish no. head. No. I heard no. that's a really tough thing to get around for adoptees. <laughs> that, that, that was a cool. You know, we went to a fish market, which was super cool, um, and then we went to this little restaurant where she made us this stew. And I forgot what you call it, but, um, so we watched her, you know, like take this fresh fish out and she chopped the head off and then she just <laughs> threw it in the pot. I was like, uh, we, we would normally throw that like, in the trash. No. But <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Did you miss the trash? Wait, no, you know, well then, then, then you hear the custom that the fish head is reserved for, you know, the oldest in yeah. the group, mm-hmm. which was, yeah. uh, me and i'm like <laughs> I'll, I'll pass that's <laughs> okay is that consider was that like a dis is that wasn't like disrespect for you to turn that down was it or well you know i mean I, the group that i was with we were all adoptees oh, well. so, <laughs> no one, no so yeah i don't i don't think i offended anyone and i'm sorry if i did did it <laughs> get back around to. to you did all the adoptees just pass and then we're like oh, no I no no i mean it was just um, just goes to the next oldest yeah. <laughs> Five one if you eat it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, was your trip um, a formal trip or informal? Um, it was it was a formal trip. It was with um, Global Overseas Adoptees Link. So I'm not sure if you've heard of that organization, mm-hmm. but it was a goal. Yeah, yeah goal. It was um, they're an organization that is. Um, it, it's run, it was founded by adoptees, it's run by adoptees, and it, it's for adoptees. So they do a, a lot of things for adoptees who have um, come back to Korea to live. Um, and then they also do um, a lot of things for adoptees worldwide. And so they have a program called First Trip Home. So it's for adoptees who have never been back to Korea. Um, and so they do things like, um, for example, uh, they took, they provided a translator to go with us to, for, um, like when I went back to the village where I was born. Um, so I had a translator go with me there and, um, they took us to, um, the orphanage. They took us that, or like if you were at a foster home or a baby home, then they would take you there. Um, they took us to the adoption agency. They took us to the police station to get DNA tested so that we could be um, in the oh, Korean wow. National Missing Children's Database. So mm-hmm. there are some Korean family members who are searching for children who were either lost or, um, I don't want to say stolen, but, you know, um, so, uh, yeah, they there are family members who are searching and so they can um, take a DNA test or uh, to to see if there's a match in the missing children's database. So. Um, so, yes. And then there was some sightseeing um, as well. And, you know, there there were adoptees from all across the the world there. There were some from the United States. There were some from Europe there, you know, so it was, it was a really cool trip. How big was the group? Uh, our group had 12. Oh, okay. Yep, 12 participants and then um, the goal staff. How many of those were interested or looking for uh, biological families while they were there? Yeah, everybody on that trip. Um, it's a birth yeah, birth oh, okay. search trip. So everybody was searching. Oh. And I would say about um, a third of the group actually had reunions 
with either parents or siblings or someone in their biological family while they were there. Um, another third got more information like either a parent name or location or some information that would help them with their search. And, you know, the last third kind of left that peninsula with more questions than they came Hmm. with. And, um, (laughs) I was one of the latter. So, um, yeah. So, um, you know, the, I think one of the, the things that, that I experienced that maybe the other participants didn't experience, um, with me being mixed race is there's, uh, especially in the rural villages, there's not really a lot of tolerance for that. You know, Mm. the, um, the, the Korean people are very, um, proud of, of their heritage. And, you know, there's a lot of shame that's brought upon families when, um, women have, um, babies out of wedlock and when the fathers of those babies are not Korean. So it's uh, not a good situation. And so when I went to the village where my mother lived, um, people were very hostile towards me and uh, just had no compassion and absolutely um, no incentive to help me try to find her or to give me any information to kind of help me try to find her. So sorry to hear that. Yeah. yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's definitely in the book one of the most heartbreaking pieces in there. Just hearing you kind of describe these these moments that you experience there, and mm-hmm. it's really it's really eye opening. Especially, well, I guess I really don't know my DNA. I think I'm fully Korean, but maybe I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. But mm-hmm. I never, I've never thought about. I've thought about going back to Korea, but I've never thought about it in terms of going back as a mixed race person and having to navigate the very strict social like norms that they that the smaller areas still abide by and Mm -hmm. so reading your encounter and i know that we spoke about this a little bit um when we met before but just how almost very brief it seems it seemed at first and it is that because those are extremely difficult situations to experience personally and then to share that um and then to turn around and put it in your memoir <laughs> and to try and, and, and share that. And that's where I kind of want to go um, because this trip is very formative in part of in that, uh, I think, in the memoir. And I was hoping that we could fill the gap in a little bit between going to Korea and then 2018 when you met this first Korean adoptee. Um, I think that's pretty much the setting for your memoir. And I was hoping that you could... Tell us what that is. Tell, tell our audience what, what, what that is and go into that just a little bit, how that got started and uh, just talk about that a little bit. Well, actually, what prompted me to, to write my story um, was, um, you know, as an adoptee, I've, I, even though I didn't talk about it publicly, I've always wondered about, you know, what, what's my biological family like, you know, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of us have those thoughts, right? You know, Mm -hmm. what do they look like? Where are they? You know, do they ever think about me kind of thing? Um, And so I think my focus was on finding my mom because I'd been told that, you know, my father was um, a U.S. soldier and my mom, you know, was Korean. And so I had no idea if she knew who my father was, if my father knew 
she was even pregnant or if he knew about me. So I never really thought about my dad much. So my focus was I'd like to find my mom, right? And, you know, just let her know that I appreciate her sacrifices and that, you know, I turned out okay, right? And um, so that was kind of my focus. And I, I saw something, I saw um, an article online that talked about twins who had been separated at birth, didn't know that either, you know, the other existed, and then they ended up finding each other. So, you know, my thought was, wow, what if I have a twin? Like, that'd be so amazing, right? <laughs> and so, you know, and I grew up with two brothers, and I just always wanted a sister. And I'm like, wow, what if I have a sister, you know? So, um, so that was kind of my thought, like, it'd be really cool to, to, you know, to meet my mom. And, but, you know, the adoption paperwork that my parents had said mother and father unknown. So, you know, I had absolutely no idea where to even start. And so, um, you know, this article had uh, given like um, a reference to um, an adoption organization. And so I reached out to them and they actually did refer me to goal. And they, they also said to start with your um, U.S.-based adoption agency. And so my parents had told me that I'd been adopted through Holt. And so I reached out to Holt and they said, uh, we don't have any record that your adoption was processed through us. So I'm like, okay, well, now now I'm still (laughs) at ground zero. And um, so December 2017, um, I'd seen something on Good Morning America where they were comparing DNA tests. So they compared Ancestry.com, 23andMe, and MyHeritage with triplets. And so, um, you know, it basically came back that the tests were, you know, relatively accurate. So I'm like, you know, it'd really be nice to know my ethnicity. I've always been told that I'm Black and Korean. It'd be nice to know for sure. Right. And so, you know, 23andMe had the health history reports and I was getting kind of tired of going to the doctor and answering. I have no idea when they ask me about all these things that could (laughs) run in your family. Right. So I'm like, I, you know, hey, if 23andMe can give me this information, then I'll pay extra for those reports because I want to know. And so and I did all three of them just to see because, you know, I'm still a little skeptical like this. I mean, this isn't really going to work. Right. And so I just wanted to see like, okay, is one going to tell me that I'm Korean and one not going to tell me that I'm, you know, so I just, I don't know. I just wanted to see. So I got the results back in January of 2018. Um, but the results that was the most surprising that I got back was a match with, um, ancestry doesn't necessarily say it's a brother. It says close family, first cousin. And when I looked at how much DNA we had in common versus the next closest second cousin. I'm like, yeah, I don't Hmm. think that's a first cousin. (laughs) I'm like, I think that's a brother. (laughs) And, and, you know, the, um, the region that we matched on was all of the African regions. So I'm like, okay, well, this is someone on my dad's side. Right. Um, so I reached out to him and he responded. And basically, I just told him that I was an adoptee and that I was looking for my biological family. And the only thing that I knew was that my 
dad was in the military and was in Korea in 1966 or 67. And, um, you know, did that sound like anybody in his family? And so he responds back and he says that his dad was in the military, was um, serving time in Korea, had an, a, um, a relationship with a Korean woman there and um, knew she was pregnant when he got orders to go to his next post. Um, and he asked me what my, you know, mom's name was. And I responded back to him and I said, I have no idea what either parent's name is. And um, so, um, you know, I gave him my contact information and then he texted me and said, I believe a phone call will serve you best at this point. So I'm telling my husband, I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> he's got some information. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was crazy. So yeah. I think so that is really kind of what sparked this story, because it's like, you know, even in the wake of very little information, miracles still happen. And I wanted to give others um, hope like, you know, you just you never know what's you know going to happen. And now I'm yeah, I'm still looking for my mom. Um but I'm in a bunch of different DNA databases now. So, um, you know, maybe I'll match with a, a cousin or so I, I did find out that my mom had a brother and a sister um, who were both married. So I'm assuming they had children. So, you know, I could match with a cousin or maybe a child of one of my cousins or something. So um, you never know. You just never know. But yeah, that's, that's what prompted me to that's write. It's amazing. It's like mm -hmm. each time you did a little more research, you found a little little puzzle piece that you right. just kept kept you going and and finding more information and wanting to get to that point where you're finishing the puzzle. Yes. And uh, and that's uh yeah, that's that's very uh, amazing. So Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's been quite the journey. And so, you know, and it's funny because everybody, you know, I told the story to, and it's just like, you know, how it's unraveling. They're like, you should write a book. Like, <laughs> this sounds like a book. <laughs> I'm very glad that you did because it is, it is really captivating. Like the start of the book um, for the, for readers, no spoilers, but it starts where she is just talking about taking those DNA tests and getting that response. And so that's where yeah. we start. And it's like, you're, I, as me as me as a reader was immediately hooked. I'm like, okay, what's about to happen? And it just yeah. and it doesn't just like taper off. It escalates immediately, and it is insane. I don't know if you want to talk. Spoilers for page two. Come on. I don't know if you. I don't want to give it. Any you know, I never away. get to page two. I want people to read the book. Um, and what's what's the title again? So we can get that. We can get that here yes, on the record. Yes, absolutely. It is faith and favor. Discovering family at fifty. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes birth family searches, I mean, it's not an instant thing. And so, um, you know, I just want people to know I was 50 years old before I met anybody in my biological family. So, um, you know, it doesn't really matter when you start your journey. And I never really thought about even like, you know, you always wonder about them, but I never really seriously thought about finding them until I was in my late 40s. So. You know? Well, you definitely have the Asian genes because there's no way I would have ever thought you were 50. So, I know much. our viewers can't see right now, they can just hear you, but right, uh, right. yeah, that's like, whoa, that's <laughs> no, no. Asian you. genes. 
think. I think, yeah. And it's just, it's such an amazing story, especially for, like you said, for adoptees that, you know, are maybe on the cusp of that journey or maybe are going back and forth on whether to do it. I'm one of those, I'm one of those adoptees right now. I'm trying, I've got the kits and now it's about doing them. And I'm Wait, have you not done it yet? No, I haven't done them. I'm still on, <gasps> still on the fence just, a little like, bit. On well, one of them I am because okay. it's a Christmas present. So I'm going to do it next week <laughs> if I do it. Um, but sure. I'm wondering because this, because your your connection to the adoptive community is fairly new, and because mm-hmm. you've now went through this crazy experience of a birth search that a lot of people don't do until they've been in or a part of the community for a little bit wa- longer, I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. How has that affected your relationship with the Korean adoptee community and the adoptee community at large? Right. So I will say when I went on that trip to Korea and, you know, I'm with 12, 11 other adoptees and uh, the the birth search process um, that active birth search when you're there in Korea, uh, it can be a little overwhelming and it is, it can be grueling as well. Um, not a lot of sleep, um, maybe for some, um, some anxiety. Um, and it's very emotional because, um, some people are getting information, some aren't, uh, some people are having reunions, some aren't, you know, so, you know, so it's, 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 uh, a lot of overstimulation and very roller coaster emotions. And so um, the adoptees in that group and, you know, and the goal staff as well, you know, we rallied around each other and, you know, we were there for each other. And, you know, some of us were experiencing some of the same emotions. So, you know, we understood what, you know, we were going through. We understood what our mission was. We want, we understood what we wanted and needed the outcomes to be. Right. And so, um, you know, and I just felt so connected to them, connected to the cause. And I walked away thinking, man, there's, there's, you know, the need is so great in the adoptee community to, um, you know, have one another to really um, lean on and to learn from and to. So, um, so you know, I walked away wanting to be able to help the community in whatever way I could. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that this this book will help uh, not only adoptees, but maybe adoptive parents who, you know, maybe might not really comprehend what their child is is going through or experiencing and, um, you know, just other people who are interested in, um, you know, family histories and genealogies and that kind of thing. So, um, so that trip for me is what sparked my desire to really, um, become more involved in the adoptee community and to, to help others along their way. So did that lead to lead you to Adoptee Hub or were you getting involved with them prior to the trip? No, actually, um, that did lead me to Adoptee Hub. So actually, Adoptee Hub, uh, I had seen a social media post where they were the Korean government was offering free face masks Mm, to adoptees, you know, living overseas. And so Adoptee Hub was one of the organizations that you could sign up through. And so I did that. I 
signed up for free face masks. And then, um, and I guess I hadn't heard about the organization before. So I just looked on their website to kind of see what they were about and um, found out that they had some uh, volunteer positions that were open. So I just sent an email to inquire about, you know, the organization, their mission, what they do, what they're looking for. And so I was really on board with uh, their mission. And so that's how I ended up um, volunteering with Adoptee Hub. And what do you do with them or what's your role, I guess, as a volunteer? So um, right now I am the IT director for the organization and I'm also on the board, Um, but we are very um, focused on providing a portal for the adoptee community and not just Korean adoptees. It will be, you know, um, all adoptees. We've got um, a lot of Korean adoptees who are volunteers, but we also have some domestic adoptees that volunteer with us as well. And so um, this portal, you know, you can, um, it's a way to connect with the other members in the adoptee community. And um, we want to have it so that you can sign up for services like counseling and translation services and birth family search services and, um, you know, maybe language classes. And so um, we have events every month. And um, so there's there's a lot of need in the community. And I there we're based out of Minneapolis. And I do know the founder would love to actually have a physical meeting space mm-hmm. that, you know, where adoptees can come for resources and um, for social events and, and to connect with one another. So that's the goal that we're working towards mm-hmm. right now. Sounds great. So we just talked about how your your birth search and things has, has uh, affected your relationship to adoptees, but I'm curious, um, just because I this is how my brain works. Um, how has being mixed race and being raised black affected how you think about being Korean and being, I guess, a minority in America? Right, and maybe it doesn't because you're like black presenting, so most people probably wouldn't assume that you're like you know black and something. So. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, when people look at me, um, I, I think they see a mixed person. Um, I always used to think when people looked at me, they saw a black person, <laughs> um, because that's what I saw. Um, so I guess I, I, I don't really know. Um, but in in America, I think a minority is a minority. So it's just, you know, when, when people see me, they're going to see a person of color. Um, so, and oddly enough, when I go to Korea, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like when they look at me, they see a person of color. They don't see another Korean. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I am just, I'm a minority wherever I go. And so I guess that's kind of what I carry with me. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I've, I've experienced racist situations kind of throughout my life and, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's something that's, um, you know, just kind of, 
it's always there. And, you know, that's just like, you know, if you're a black man and you're out walking at night, I mean, it's always going to be there. Right. And so, um, you know, you just handle whatever situation comes up. Yeah. I was just curious, like, I, like for me, I, I think because my parents were really great about this, had a strong sense of being Korean and really wanted to lean into that. And, and so that is an important thing. But um, as of recently, have just started thinking about myself as a minority. Um, but I'm curious if being mixed race, um, how that relates to you digging deeper into your Korean identity, or if you're just like, uh, I'm, it's enough for me to think about myself as adopted and I, uh, don't necessarily lean towards or away from, uh, my like Korean side of my life or my identity. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I guess I, I would say mostly people in the Black community, especially once I became an adult, just accepted me for who I was, right? And so I guess maybe it would be different for me if I would have had a different experience when I went to Korea um, that I would want to kind of... Um, you know, lean more to, you know, I just, I just feel like, I I feel like Korea does not want me. Like, Mm. why would I want them? You Mm, know, I mean, that's, that's, I hate to say that, but, um, yeah, they, you know, I, I'm an embarrassment to them. You know, I am a reminder of a very cold, um, harsh war. And so, um, but I will say that, you know, I am still interested in the culture. I am still interested in the food. I mean, like I've learned how to make bibimbap. We love it. That's one of our favorite, (laughs) (laughs) favorite Korean meals. So, you know, I, you know, I don't hate the culture. I don't hate Korea, but you know, I, um, and, um, I, you know, love working you know, in the adoptee community with other Koreans. I mean, I'm just, um, I'm embracing it, but it's not like, um, I, I guess, I mean, I don't mind being Korean, but you know, <laughs> you know, you're I like, you net nothing being Korean. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's, you it's know, fine. We're I at mean, an arm's length from each other and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So I get that. Yeah. I was just curious because, you know, like I feel uh, while doing the show and and having people on, like we talk about our identities as uh, Koreans, as Americans and as adoptees, you know? Um, And so like, I I think, especially like, just as I'm listening to your story, it feels like um, it's maybe safest at this current time for your self perception and, and, you know, things just to be like, uh, I don't need to worry about being Korean because I'm more focused on like adoption as a part of my identity. Right. And so, yeah, I was just curious uh, how that played for you Um, just because you're, even though, you know, we're all CADs, like your situation is so different from ours. Mm -hmm. Um, So just as a a means of expanding my own worldview and Mm -hmm. uh, potential for empathy. Well, you know, I, I think I'm still kind of processing the, I am an adoptee kind of, um, part of me too, because, um, you know, no one in my family really treated me like I was different. I mean, like, especially, you know, and I, and I've heard that, um, so like, um, I've, I've heard and, you know, I don't know if 
any of you guys have experienced this, but I've heard that for some adoptees who were raised um, in white communities um, with very little diversity, um, even, like in their extended family, some of them, you know, experienced racism, you know, from family members and comments and stuff like that. I never experienced that with anybody in my ex extended family, like ever, like nobody ever really made me feel like I was different. I was just, you know, I was just one of the kids, you know? So, so I, so I, you know, guess I, I never really kind of grew up with that, um, with any kind of adoption trauma, I guess. Um, and, um, you know, there are a lot of um, people who knew me that I guess never really even knew I was adopted until my book came out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh. Like, people coming out even... of the woodwork like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've known you for 25 years. I'm like, I know. I just, I never talk about it. And so, yeah. so I, you know, I'm still processing my I am adopted story. Right. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, it's still new for me. It's still new to talk about. Um, and, you know, I didn't really talk about it. I mean, my kids knew, but, you know, I didn't really talk about it much in depth with them. And um, my husband and I had, you know, some minor conversations about it, but we never talked about it either. So it's, um, it's not something, and that was one of the other hard things for me, being in Korea on that birth family search because prior to that trip, you know, my adoption mindset was, you know, tucked far away and I never really thought about it on a regular basis. But then once I was there and I was doing birth search, that was all I could think about. Like, I mean, for two weeks straight, it was just like, right here, like, you know, at the forefront of my mind, like every second of every day. And it was a lot. I was like, oh my, I haven't thought about adoption this much ever in my whole life combined <laughs> yeah. in the last 50 years. I haven't thought about yeah. it this much. And, you know, so that was really difficult for me because it's just like, you know, this is not something that I dwell on and now I cannot get it out of my mind because that's what I'm here for. Yeah. And so that was difficult. So what kind of advice would you give someone who maybe like yourself is going on that journey for the first time or has maybe never thought about adoption in that way before? Um, just having so recently gone through that experience yourself, what kind of advice would you impart on someone who was maybe taking those first steps themselves? Right. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would just say be prepared for an emotional journey because you don't know, you know, what's around the bend. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who you're going to meet and to be very open-minded. Um, because, uh, again, you don't know what you're going to discover or uncover. And, you know, it's, it's hard for us as adoptees to really know what, uh, situations our parents were in when we were born, when we were relinquished, that made them um, choose the life choices that they did at the time, right? And so some of them are still carrying that baggage. Some of them have, you know, uh, obtained additional baggage along the way. So, you know, you, you really don't know. Um, but, you know, try not to be judgmental, um, but just be open-minded and, you um, you know, can you ever really be prepared? I don't know. 
I don't really know that I was prepared, you know, and, (laughs) um, and, you know, just so happened that I matched with my brother and, you know, and that was one thing that, you know, before doing it, uh, I didn't think about what kind of effect it would have on my adoptive family. You know, it's just like now I've, I've matched with a brother. I was like, Oh, wonder what my parents are going to think about that. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, so I, I didn't really have time to consider it. And, and I know there, I've talked to some adoptees now who would not do uh, a birth search because they don't want to offend their adoptive parents or, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and I've talked to my adoptive parents about that and, um, you know, they, they don't really understand, you know, my, especially my mom, she's like, Oh, well, everybody has a right to know about, you know, their right. family and their history. And, you know, she's like, I don't understand why people wouldn't want to allow their children to, you know, to, to, to do that. And so, um, but you know, everybody doesn't have that mindset. And so, um, you know, I would just, uh, and, and be patient and persistent because it can take, a lot of time, like years or decades or, but just don't ever give up hope because if it was meant to happen in this lifetime, it will happen, but you have to be persistent. And, you know, so that would be my advice. I think that's great advice. Patience and persistence and do not give up hope. I think that really comes across in the book a hundred percent. And I think all of our listeners, if you're taking anything away from this conversation, I think that would definitely be it. Um, and also go get the book, please. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, where's the best place for somebody to buy your book? That's not Amazon. That is not Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can also buy it from, uh, my website. So summer You can buy it from there. And you know, if you drop me a line, um, you can email me at, uh, hello at summer com, And I would even, I will sign it for you and give you some inspirational oh, message. Ooh. Yes. Patrick, well, get a well, second copy, bro. Yeah. I know. I'm like, <laughs> get on Amazon. Stupid Why Amazon. Why did I get the Kindle version? <laughs> no, yes, I got the physical. Yeah. It's back here for sure. Yes. I like awesome. the tactile feel of books. I like to have, yeah, hold them in my hands. A lot of people so. do. Yeah, a lot of people. I do, usually so. buy a book twice. I get the digital one, so I can read it anywhere, and then the physical one, so I can like have yeah. it or give it away. I like so. that. Yeah. yeah, and then the so, audio book too. I you write a book so, so that KJ buys it twice. <laughs> <laughs> and you got two, two sales. Sold. Yeah, already. <laughs> yes, got two sales. Um, yeah, the the good thing about the the Kindle version is all all of the pictures are in color. So that's, oh, I didn't even think yeah. about that. Yeah, uh, I have a paper white, so that is not effective for me. But <laughs> good to know for all of you who have more updated technology. <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. Well, Lee, uh, what? What? You guys have any other questions? No further questions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no I, further I, questions. I have a lot more questions, but I want uh, definitely yeah, want to be respectful of your guys yeah, uh, of the- your time, Lee, and everyone else's time. Um, the book is. Faith in Favor, Finding Family at 50, the author is Lee Quates. We are really, really happy and honored that you gave us the opportunity to have this conversation with you. And uh, you. we are going to hit a quick break and then we'll be right back with some sort of food item. I don't know what it is, but Okay, so can tuned. I add one little correction? The title is Faith in Favor, Discovering Family oh, at discovering. 50. <laughs> 
Patrick, are you even Run a real fan? Dang it. Dude. I even wrote that yeah. down here on my notes. So it was funny. There, there goes yeah, your I, autograph copy. I just copy. don't want anybody searching Sorry. for the wrong thing. So makes yes. a lot of so. sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, faith and favor of discovering family at 50. Correct. Also, right, put that back hot in. tip. And this might actually be because of the pictures. It does not open on a Kindle Paperwhite. Oh, so, really? Oh, you're Yeah, because uh, I, I bought it on Kindle. I was like, yeah, this is great. And then uh, it won't open on my Kindle Paperwhite. So there maybe you, go. you need to update your technology. Dude, no, the Paperwhite are bust. All right. Yeah. Stop it. You, you know, people I, with so, your newfangled so technology. I, I'm wondering the reason probably is um, so when you format for Kindle, you can um, have two different formats. So one where it will kind of, depending on the device that you're reading it on, it'll, you know, be kind of a responsive thing. Um, but I could not do that with this because I include, um, text messages and, um, like screenshots of, of different things that, that have to, uh, be formatted a certain way. So when I created the Kindle version, the Kindle version looks exactly like the book. And so that format won't kind of like redistribute Mm. on, on different devices. And so maybe that's why it doesn't open on, on your device. All right. So there you go. Hey, I'm going to take that again real quick. All you readers out there. (laughs) Let me take that again real quick. Um, I'm just going to keep this all in. So, (laughs) All right, the book is Faith and Favor, Discovering Family at 50. The author is Lee Quates. We are going to be right back with a food item. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are at our food portion now. We're here with uh, Lee Quates. And actually, I was going to ask you on the show, your full name, though, is Lisa, correct? It is, yes. So um, my whole entire family calls me Lisa. So if you call me Lee, I have probably either worked with you or I've gone to school with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we had a great interview. Uh, So uh, people watching us on YouTube, go back and uh, check out our podcast with uh, Lee. Um, But right now, we are going to try a snack of sorts. I opened mine. You guys didn't open your door. Mine actually fell out of the mystery box. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, Jerry's mystery box. Box number two was not packaged as well as box number one, but they were eating coffee dough. Coffee dough? I am a fan of coffee. Mine is a little different. It's coffee cold, but it's. From I've had that market. one before too. Have yeah. you had this one? Yeah, that one's okay. good too. Yours looks got... way more Asian than ours. I have, yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say I have strong doubts that this is actually coffee cup, well, even coffee at all Asian. Well, I was looking. I mean, there's like no Asian writing on That's this package. True. I'm like, I hope this is. <laughs> Mine's actually in French. Yeah, so I was actually, say Spanish from French. Indonesia. I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, mine's cappuccino flavor. Yeah, We're not regular flavor. I like coffee though. So. In... Island of Java, Indonesia. This is Indonesia. So it's, it's. hey, did you know that that's, uh, yeah, the island of Java? I learned that a long time ago that there is an island of Java, which I think is amazing. Hmm. Um, but they speak Javanese. Really? What? I don't know. I know. What that is. It is actually a thing. Javanese. I, at first I heard that and I th- thought it was a typo that it was hmm. Japanese, but it's Javanese from the island of Java. So there you go. A little trivia for everyone. But. I'm not going to lie, this is the most like plain, coffee. boring packaging that we've had on any <laughs> item of food that we've eaten. That we've yeah, what the so junk? Uh, apparently the brand is Coffee Go. Coffee Go. So, oh. I have strong doubts as to whether or not this is a Korean snack. Jerry isn't here to <laughs> confirm <laughs> or deny it. But, Lee, your candy at least sounds like the 
American English version. Is it? Yeah, I, I think I've had it, but I wonder if it's Japanese. I think that's where I saw yours. I well, yeah. Japanese. When I went to the Asian market, I asked them if they had any Korean candy, and they said, you know, that they don't separate the candy by. Um, but they, you know, do other food. So they were like, you know, here's the candy aisle. I'm like, okay, well, thanks. Oh, yeah. That's the worst part about the Asian market that I go to is all of our snacks, all the snacks are just strewn together. together so I'm sitting yeah. there just pulling boxes off the shelves like, where is this from? <laughs> and people are like, stop <laughs> touching everything. Yeah. <laughs> Especially during COVID. Oh, no, right? The, the packaging says, on, when think. you don't have time for coffee. Cuando no tienes tiempo de tomar café. <laughs> well, my next critique is that this is too small of a piece yeah, of candy. Yeah, it's real tiny. I don't like it. Yeah, but if it's, like, powerful, you don't want it too big either. Yeah, I don't know how much caffeine this has. Yeah, I might be up all night now. Yeah, thanks to you guys. I won't mm-hmm. get any sleep. But here's, Nathan, you know here's how much coffee is. You're like. welcome. That's true. I, oh, I yeah. think uh, Patrick is immune to coffee. Does it look the oh, same? Well, you got a little no, coating no. on Yours it. Yours is like well, a yeah. cream something? Yeah. Well, hmm. no, it's cappuccino. So oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. That's probably why mm. it is. I like mm-hmm. it. Smells oh, like it's coffee. a hard candy. I was mm-hmm. not anticipating a hard candy. Mm, me either. Really? Mm-hmm. It smells deeply of coffee. Mm. Tastes deeply um, of coffee. That's good. Tastes it tastes just like my coffee with creamer. Yep. I can't get over all of this Spanish on the package. It's really throwing my brain for a loop. Tastes I mean, like a coffee sur- piece to me, like a Werther's original or something. Right. Yeah, yeah that's what it flavor. tastes like. I like coffee candies. I actually have another package of something else over there uh, next to my other This office. is going to be perfect for work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of like, I just am feeling like this is a very fraudulent, fraudulent uh, food that we're trying here. The snack. I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm sure we'll have to we'll not, have to go to our. But <laughs> we'll have to discuss where it came from on the after party uh, our group and just discuss why it is Korean. Maybe there's more information, plug, Nathan. Thank you. Yes, please join us on the after party for our after show discussion about coffee go. Um, yeah. A serving <laughs> size is four pieces. So four pieces. Dang. Yeah. Does that right, equal one small. cup of coffee? I don't mm, know. Maybe. Let's see. What's it the caffeine? It says the serving size is four pieces, 60 calories. I How much caffeine it. does yours have? It doesn't actually I don't say. say which yeah, I, I don't wish it did, actually. Listed here yeah. There's no caffeine? No. It doesn't list it, which, yeah. So yeah. I could, like I said, it could be up all night or maybe not at all. Yeah. Just okay, I do love that I... the ingredients are pretty basic. Yeah. Like, there's not any weird words besides soy lecithin. <laughs> but other than that, everything is real easy. Sugar, glucose, coconut oil, coffee extract, butter, caramel, color, soy, lecithin, salt. You know, one of our other uh, products that we've had is the Koba coffee chocolate bars. And mm. I know that specifically says on the, the package, says it has the amount of caffeine that one cup of coffee has. And uh, I have had an entire bar, and it's strong. I would say it's it's more than a cup of coffee because <laughs> I can drink three cups of coffee a day. And this one bar gave me like a shot of like, uh, of caffeine and, and almost made me jittery. I feel, but oh, this wow. crap is empty. Yeah. Yours is empty. <laughs> it is a sealed package of air. Wow. This, this, this one not doing so hot. What the heck, Jerry real quick though. Nathan, you only drink three cups of coffee a day. 
Yeah. I try to limit my caffeine intake. Proud Sorry. of you. Do you mean like proper like eight ounce cups or do you mean like three whatever mug you grab? So it's like yeah, a 32 eight. ounce mug. No, eight ounce cup, maybe <laughs> six. I drink like really? five of these. Yeah. Is that bad? Oh my, of coffee? Dang, bro. Yeah. And yeah, I drink a lot. Well, you're immune to it. But that's why drink, you can drink it at night and still go to sleep. But then I drink like eight <laughs> 16 ounce bottles of water every day too. So it balances Gosh. it out. I also go to the bathroom very frequently, works, but, but I don't think that's related. And Patrick also spends three hours in the bathroom all day. That's actually probably accurate. <laughs> and then he spends two hours eating, and then the rest of the time he's living his life. The last time yep. I'm here, I'm just talking yep. to people. So, doing the show. Oh, I thought you were just just filming the John T. Show by yourself. There's hours of backlogged footage. Oh, yeah, Nathan's Zoom is just loaded up with just me. <laughs> just sitting here like, when are we going, guys? All right, all right. Let's, uh, let's get into our ratings. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to give this... Okay, this is hard because I have to separate my experience from the actual candy here. Uh, the candy, I think, is pretty solid. Uh, I don't love sweet stuff, and so the fact that this is coffee is really great. I'm going to give it uh, four out of five soy lecithins. Four... Yes. Four to five. All right. Because uh, right. I love coffee, and the fact that I can just eat it on the go and have coffee flavor in my mouth is great. Yeah. Uh, and if I you like coffee. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who don't like coffee, and probably this is not the candy for them. <laughs> I will say it doesn't taste like amazing coffee. It feels like mm-hmm. like if somebody – took uh you know a Folgers gourmet brew and then it's not like it's not like your single origin pour over coffee kind of thing it's all right that's a, too complicated it's a regular bro and it's not like, look and it's not like it's straight black coffee i'm too, the kind of guy that no would sugar drink, or no. anything see like i drink yeah. black coffee i grind the okay. beans right before i have a coffee pour that yep, gets purist. my temperature just right i really care about my coffees i mean i drink straight black coffee too but i open the thing and put it in no, the filter dude. and then it drips dude, out I'm, and then i drink two I of those it. <laughs> I do a whole thing. So you're it's a, a Mr. Process. Coffee kind of guy? I yeah. have, a, I think that's the machine, but no, we are, oh. I don't remember what kind of coffee Nestle we're in, currently instant on. coffee. Yeah, I don't know. We've been grinding <laughs> beans up though this, too, this, so we've been doing that. Podcast is now heading toward down the coffee route. <laughs> all right. Discussions. Um, we're going to be go coffee snobs all of a sudden. <laughs> go Lee, for it, Nathan. What do you think? Oh, yeah, what Lee, is your Copico or Yeah, flavor? my, uh, like my Copico cappuccino. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. I would give it a five out of five because it tastes like, so I only like coffee that doesn't taste like coffee. So <laughs> I like coffee that so tastes you like, like creamer. I do like creamer. <laughs> you like French yeah. vanilla to be exact. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I like right there with you. I pretend I like coffee, but I really like yeah. creamer. Um, and that's what this tastes like. It tastes mm-hmm. like my coffee with creamer. So I would give it a five out of five stars for sure. Interesting. Nice. I did. I don't know if I heard you say. Did yours have a caffeine content in it? I didn't see it. I did not. It doesn't say. So it didn't say caffeine in the mm. ingredients. Coffee and, candy companies. You start putting that on. But there. it does say that there is natural coffee flavor, and there's coffee extract. See, we didn't even get the coffee flavor. We just got the coffee extract. I got a lot of thoughts about this about this item here. Wait, um, does yours have other languages on your package, or is it just no? It's just it's all in English. All right, interesting. Mm -hmm. But it's distributed by Family Foods International. Okay, Patrick. All right, give us your full rundown. I don't know if we got enough time. Um, All right, shortened, condensed rundown. I'm giving this. 
a two out of five stars, and here's why. Wow. Oh, I don't boy. like the packaging. Way too plain. The individual pieces are much too small. <laughs> I don't like this. This is a coffee snack, but the only coffee-related item or ingredient is the coffee extract. Um, and I, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm just at a loss with this product. I'm just, it, the t- it tastes fine, but I think what's made it go from a three to a two is the fact that it literally tastes like a Werther's original, and it's not its own thing. So I'm thinking I'm just mm. eating an, something I've already had before, and it's not like a new experience for me. So that's what's bumping mm. it down for me. And some other things, but I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> so you're you're unhappy that your coffee-flavored candy tastes like coffee? You know, it doesn't even taste like coffee to me. It just tastes like toffee, like toffee with a toffee. T, not toffee a C, candy. a T. Okay. I don't uh, think it tastes uh, like toffee. Yeah, it has more of a coffee flavor it's than coffee. coffee but I understand yeah. your comparison. I yeah. also like, really like toffee. So yeah. maybe that's why I like it so much. I'm like right? a straight yeah, coffee, too. black coffee drinker, no additives. I can't do it. No ice, okay. none of this. I got to So gotta that's do where that. you are. So that's you where I'm at. The, yeah. You want the coffee candy that doesn't taste good. Yeah, I just want this to become, <laughs> I just want this to become another cup of coffee that I can just have no sugar. That's just straight coffee yes. bean. Why don't you just go and like grind a coffee, up some coffee bean? Yeah, I would rather have that in your mouth. That'd be have amazing, you, actually. Have you eaten like straight raw coffee beans? Mm, I don't think so. not just the bean. I've had like chocolate covered coffee beans. Well, I think, well but... yeah, that's right, man. Chocolate covered. Oh, yeah. That oh, again, okay. they do no, that. Okay. Straight raw coffee yeah, beans like... and chocolate covered coffee beans are very different. <laughs> well, One of them is roasted and bean. is covered in chocolate. The other is just from a like a plant. Well, okay, well, well number it, one, so I have thanks. had that one too, and it does not taste like coffee. Yeah, that tastes like trash. It tastes like a slimy plant. Yeah, the coffee bean is what I meant. Like because I've seen the chocolate covered ones, and I've had those and they crunch and they're good but i don't know i just something I can make it. this one crunch yeah i don't know this one probably does crunch but i'm gonna go along with uh, kj i think it's a four out of five i i would give it uh um a good one i'm tastes like coffee tastes has good amount of sweetness yeah i might even up, bump that up to four and a half out of five there's a lot of them in here too um <laughs> dang bro i mean i i was looking in here this whole package is just you know it's, it's about 32 tons. pieces in your, yeah, in so your package. Unless you on get short point, chains and just get a packet of air. <laughs> yeah. I probably go. Jerry probably went into your box and ate one of them. So I don't know. Yeah. Jerry probably and figured resealed. out how to open it. Yeah. And then, re- <laughs> and then he mechanically reseal it. And be like, KJ's going to hate this. I You're will right, say, Jerry. I do hate this. I will say, if someone can tell me what relation this snack is to Korean culture or anything mm. in general, I'll amend my rating. I'll oh, bump yeah, it leave up. it in the comments right. below. <laughs> comments below or on After Party in our Facebook. So, great. All right, cool. Well, this has been fun. <laughs> it's been we, a real experience. <laughs> yeah. If you could tell uh, our viewers and listeners where you can get your book and, uh, and yeah. how they can contact you. Okay. So, my book, Faith and Favor, Discovering Family at 50, is available on Amazon.com. It's also available on my website at summersolsticepublishing.com. Um, and yeah, buy it there. Yeah. Forget Amazon. <laughs> and forget the Kindle. Yeah. Get the paper and, version. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, you can you can order it from there, and or you can just drop me a line at hello at summersolstice dot com, and if you want me to um, sign it, 
I will sign that for you, nice. write a little special special message in there. So it will say yes. hello at summersolstice.com. <laughs> <laughs> Have some coffee. Like, I'm so candy. glad I went to <laughs> hello. <laughs> so yes, thank you guys for having me on. This has no, been really fun. Thank you fun. so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this has been great. You guys definitely need to to go get the book and listen to the podcast. And we uh yeah, we really enjoyed uh, talking about it all in your story. Yeah. Uh, Lee, if you want people to find you on the internet, how can they do so besides your publishing site? Well, if they want to connect with me on Facebook, um, I'm on Facebook as Lee Quates. That's spelled L-I. And last name is Q-U-A-I-T-E-S. So that's really the only social media that I do. I kind of give my daughters a break and let them have Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> that's very nice of you. <laughs> you can find her on, I don't follow on Marco them Polo. You can yeah. find her on, uh, <laughs> there's like a party room app or something. I don't know. Yeah. TikTok. Yeah. Blowing up on no, House Party. I'm not doing any of that. It's, uh, House Party. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> you play games. Yeah, it's, Send her it's a yo. Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. So you can nice. find me as uh, Lee Quates on both of those. Great. Awesome. And you can find our show as always at uh, John Chi Show. And uh, you can email us at John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com uh, or me at Nowalk Photo. They can email you at Nowalk Photo. You can email <laughs> yep. me there. If you, it won't go to anywhere. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, you can find me at KJ Relke on all of the places on the internet that matter. Um, you can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Instagram at Patrick in the world. You can also find me on Spotify at Patrick in the world. I've recently been putting together a, mm. or been listening to all the many, many versions of Arirang, uh, after we had a conversation with a musical guest that's coming out a little bit later. Um, and I've been putting all those together Making a playlist. and I want people to, I'm eventually nice. going to share it cause I want to hear everyone else's takes on those and throw all the ones in there. Because I feel like I read that there's like 60,000 versions of like the cool. 20 or like the 200 bass versions of the song. And I have, I think, 17. So I got a long way to go and I need some help. So if you <laughs> guys want to get on there. <laughs> so close. <laughs> awesome. But thank that you again. Amazing. And uh, yeah, we are the John Chi Show. Thanks for everyone for listening and watching. <laughs> and we out of here. John Chi, hey oh.